Hi, good Friday for all of us. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is This Week in Mormons, the international episode with the uh, Daniels. So Ooh, hello. We're happy to be here just after a week of general conference. So there's plenty to co to cover today, and we're expecting to to have hopefully an interesting episode for all of those who have the opportunity to to listen to us through um, Spotify, YouTube, and all the social media channels you already know. So you're whatever you get your podcasts. Yes, so you're more than welcome to subscribe if you haven't, and of course, if you want to to check on the uh, more specialized content that we cover, also you can do it through Patreon, Patreon as well. So, uh, Dan, how was your general conference experience uh, this last weekend? Well, it was very busy. It was good though. And how, before jumping into that, uh, now that you're talking about all the the, the content and resources. Uh, Twim did a great uh, general conference uh, recap um, after, after every episode. So if you want to recap general conference, not just by listening to it, feel free to go listen to our, our immediate reactions to the, to the sessions. That was really fun. All of the hosts the, of, of, of Twim took part in different sessions. So that was really fun to do. Uh, we had some crossovers as well there where I hosted one of those with uh, Matt from uh, the Twim siblings. So... Go back to that one after finishing this episode, though. But yeah, my my experience was busy. That we watched one of the sessions in the chapel. Uh, By the way, let me remind let, let me remind the the listeners and the the people that watch us on YouTube that Danny is a bishop in in UK, so he has also like an extra uh, importance an extra, in the process yeah. of yes, yes. I wouldn't say importance, but yeah, responsibilities. Responsibility, uh, we, yes. we debated with the work council whether it, we wanted to show it in, in person. Like we hadn't done it for for a long time, not just because of COVID, but before COVID, we we had stopped. Uh, um, but we about a year ago, we we found that there was a, a small demand for it, but a demand nonetheless, and that some members appreciated having the chance to go and watch it with others. And this last uh, Saturday, we did it in the evening for us. So Saturday morning, the, f the first session, we watched it in the cultural hall. Uh, a few families came with their, their young children. It was like a picnic type of setting. We ordered some pizza. So it was very unconventional, but it worked out that's, quite well. That's very, that's very nice. I mean, and also for the listeners that are from Utah, we're talking about seven hours difference between yeah. Utah time and, and the UK. So It's it's nothing trivial at all. It, yeah. it is a huge difference between the Saturday morning session and the Saturday morning session for UK members. So yes, yeah, it can get really confusing when you say Saturday morning session at 5 p.m. <laughs> but but people <laughs> yeah, arrived, sure. people arrived, and that was really nice. And then uh, on Sunday we also showed the evening session, so the very short one that we had. When Elder Suarez spoke, uh, we showed it at 10 a.m. and we had a different cohort of members arrive. And that one was a Sunday. We didn't bring pizza or anything like that. It was like to, yeah, that, that's, also to that's ensure okay. that people that turned up at church that might have forgotten his general conference because it happens, uh, they would have something to to do and not just find a closed chapel on a Sunday. So uh, that worked out uh, quite well. Uh, that how could about be you, a, Danny? a potluck. 
uh, that could be a potluck next time on a yeah, Sunday actually, if you want. What, yeah. what they used to do, and that was very common across the UK, I understand, is that on Sunday morning at 10, Relief Society would get together, they would have a big breakfast, and they would watch the Relief Society or the women's session, you know, the, the ones that we no longer have, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, they would get together and, and watch it with the, the women of the church, and that was quite nice. I never went for obvious reasons, although it would have been nice. But yeah, we no longer have those sessions, so can't can't really do it. I would say that that was like a tradition similar to like the tradition that many have for or that used to have for the priesthood session, and then the rest of the family used to like go have yes. ice cream. I think that that's like a thing in Utah, yeah, uh, or I mean, other places. Here, here uh, the tradition in the ward where I'm currently living is that before the Saturday morning session, the bishop gathers all the young men and young women to have breakfast in their house before oh. so so you they watch the the Saturday morning uh general conference session together so they have breakfast together and then they watch the the, the first session all together which which yes. i think it, it's it's a it's a very good bonding experience I, I mean in general all the experiences that allow us to to be with others that we're not usually with mm-hmm. on a more extended or more relaxed setting is always welcome and needed and and especially i've been thinking a lot about this sense of community that, that we should have in the church. I mean, church is a spiritual endeavor mostly, right? But but we we should never forget that it's also a human social experience in itself. Yeah. So sometimes we just think I go there because of my beliefs, because of my covenants. But there is a very powerful community component mm-hmm. and we shouldn't forget about it because and, and for- church is more than, than the doctrine and the covenants, but also the people, right? The people we, we interact with and, and they're I mean, like fellow members and, and friends. I agree 100%. And uh, there's an ideal that sometimes we do lip service to, which is the ideal of Zion. And Zion, by default, is a community. It starts with that, right? And uh, actually, speaking of, of that, we're not going to do like a full conference recap. Go back to the episodes from last week for that. But there was a talk that, that I think it was Elder uh, Gong that talked about, well, many things, but one of the emphasis that he gave was about church activities and an activities committee and like, kind of giving ourselves permission to meet and for lack of a better term, have fun, you know, like kind of removing the shame from sometimes we, we feel a bit of a, of a pressure that every activity or everything that we do should have a spiritual component. And I think by definition, being a community is an objective in and of itself that's worthwhile pursuing, right? Of course, we want a, a balance on everything, but in a way he was like, do, do things together. I need to go back to that talk to remember exactly the, the full... Uh, message there, but I really appreciated that. We set up an activities committee over a year ago uh, before uh, the previous bishop was released. So all credit to him, to Adam. Hi, Adam, if you're listening. (laughs) That uh, (laughs) had the foresight of saying, we're coming back from COVID. We need to build community. There's a big need for it. And the need remains. And we've uh, called a great activities committee that um, have helped us do do much of that. So uh, it felt validating because at that time, the, the church handbook had just been updated and kind of reintroducing the possibility of having one after over a decade, I think, that it was scrapped and it was like, work councils take care of this. And then it was a, a dilution of ownership and and for many it worked, but for many didn't. And uh, I'm happy to see that, that activities committees have been validated again from the pulpit of general conference. I've had like very extreme views about this. One extreme view is that we're not a, I don't know, an event uh, yeah, organization. I com- yeah, so I co- I co- I, an event production I, company. An event production 
organization. Yeah. So we shouldn't be investing time, energy, or, or effort or resources, if that is the case, into doing so many activities. But on the other hand, I think if we go to the other extreme, right, where no activities are, are done, then what sense of community can we build up on a two-hour period where we just have our whole adoration session, which is the most important thing, and then classes where we're also divided, right? So, I mean, yeah. I, I think our parents b- back in the 70s, right, when they started church, they had like a full week of church. Like they went yeah. on a Sunday, they went on a Wednesday, they they went on a Saturday, right? And 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 they had different activities and different sessions for, for different days. And church absorbed an important part of their life. And that, that's yeah. why they were so committed and they felt like they be- belonged to a, a wider community, right? And, and I think... Currently, these days, uh, on this idea that life has many things to be done and it's so busy and we're always very connected through social media or, or whatnot, uh, people tend to think that we don't need those kinds of activities anymore. But on the contrary, my perception, my, my personal take is that it's the total opposite, that we need more of that. We need more of the community. We need more of, of the older people getting together with the younger people. We need more of, of the word activities where all of us are interacting in a, in a more relaxed, let's say, uh, extended setting. So yeah. uh, I, I welcome I welcome that with all my heart. And I, again, I, I'm an advocate on 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 pursuing activities, even yeah. even smaller ones like potlucks or, or linger longers or yeah. whatever kind of small activities you can do for the well, sake of people it, to have time to talk. In Chile, it used to be quite common, and I haven't seen it here or or in the U.S. in the same form of just doing a war family home evening. Just get together, sing some hymns, have a class, then have food and games. That that that's it. As simple as that. There's no theme. There's no big planning, but you get together. Um, I think that to me, it's a little bit the pendulum between church-supported and home-centeredness that has been, uh, you know, kind of the the big vision and strategy, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> from from the institutional church for the last few months months years, half a decade or more, which uh, I, I think when it was was released, I think the natural reaction was to swing the pendulum towards the home-centeredness of it, right? Because it came along with the shortening of the church uh, block of meetings uh, and a number of other things that simplified and removed church. It's kind of small government, but small church. Now, but also, I mean, pandemic provided a yeah. very good shock. I mean, the shock of the pandemic was huge. I mean, we were moving towards home-centered activities, which is all good. But then the pandemic hit, and th- that was an external shock, nothing to do with church-related things. It's like, this is what happened. We were isolated, and we had to, right? And then you just follow that that tradition that was imposed externally, and then you stop getting together, not because it's not reasonable, it's just because you were isolated for two years. So, yeah. And probably home-centeredness worked well and served its purpose as a core focus between this pendulum, between the two. Now we're fortunately mostly past that that phase. And the evident, like the, the need for a community becomes much more evident. And I'm glad to see the, the, the pendulum sh- shifting a bit more to the church support side of, of things because uh, I think we have neglected it uh, and uh, and it's good to to like recognize it. And one insight that I heard from, actually I didn't, it was my wife. She heard from one of the sisters in her ward. She was talking to us 
up uh, and told my wife, look, you guys are the minority. And when she said you guys, she was referring to a married couple that had children, right? The nuclear family, you know, the ideal <laughs> thing. And she was absolutely right. If you look at the demographics of my ward, that is a minority. Mostly we have single sisters, single brothers, uh, divorced couples, uh, you know, students, um, people that are kind of transient in the world that are coming for work temporarily and a level of diversity in, in, in that sense that that truly catering to nuclear families, you're missing out on like 60, 70% of the work community. So the church support becomes crucial there because that is the definition, like that, that becomes the, the family, right? From a spiritual sense uh, uh, or from a religious sense, at least, you know, not saying that, the, that they don't have families, but you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I welcome that renewed focus. Uh, and do you have any other, other, other comments on conference on any talks that stood out now that it's been yeah, a few days? I mean, yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, at this point, I think they all fuse in in like a one big talk. I yeah. I, I usually get get notes. Uh, I don't have my notes with me right now, but but I think <laughs> of, of, of of a couple. And I mean, we were talking with my wife about um, how the participation of of leadership that is outside Utah is significant, is relevant, and it provides. A different flavor, right? I mean, yeah. my perception so far, or my take so far, is that uh, when they talk, it shouldn't be like that. But but my attention is is higher because I'm interested in in hearing what their experiences are and 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 how they they perceive the the, the church experience they had in their own home countries, and also the fact that when they uh, mention their local experiences, it resonates higher, better. Yeah, with me, you, right? Because you feel seen. Yeah. Yes, and, and and I feel like I can connect with those experiences, right? Yeah. I mean, words of I don't know, three hundred, four hundred people are not the common trend back in Chile. So when, when I hear them and and I hear those those significant but but yet more relatable experiences are, are in a way, you know, powerful to me. So can I say something on that? Uh, yes. Or yeah, very very quick because that reminded me of I think it was Elder yeah it was Elder Suarez that spoke about prejudice and kind of uh, extended the much of the, the the latest teachings on that and the emphasis on uprooting racism and prejudice of any kind within our church community right and at one point I might be mistaken please uh, listeners fact check me if I'm wrong but this is what I heard and what I felt when, when he said something along the lines of prejudice and, and and things like that and he said something like i know it because uh you know it's happened to me like he didn't say it that way but you know he he kind of said like i know this firsthand like i've experienced what it feels like to be you know treated differently again i might be wrong i don't i, I need to go back to it to see what phrase or what paragraph or what he taught was that, that, that he said that made me think that but when that happened i felt like yes like we have somebody that has had similar experiences to me from a very senior standpoint saying it and 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 it's edifying it's not not challenging or kind of uh, 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 it's not a grievance but it's it's making it real and an invitation to 
to be better and implement those principles that are. Um, yeah. Let me let me reference it with something that has nothing to do with church, but has to do with with the training I'm getting as a student here in the U.S. I mean, uh, lots of uh, ethical issues and 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 training issues related to to treating others that are different and to welcoming diversity. How to deal with that? Like humans naturally will tend to get together with the ones that they consider closer to them or, or, or more similar to them, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. animals with the same animals, right? I mean, so when we're challenged to interact with others that are different from us, we are scared because we don't know, right, how they are, how they will react towards uh, our interactions and, and whatever. So it's an honest invitation to all the members of the church to be more welcoming to those that are not similar to you, that are those that are different from you. Right. And, and when we're thinking about diversity in a church that is a worldwide church, we're all different, right? We think we're similar, but we're all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different experiences. So that is a stronger invitation for all of us to reconsider, to, to re-educate ourselves in terms of uh, the importance of, of the difference, right? And being different is different. Sorry, being different is good. I, I always dreamed of this Benetton church. Sorry if I'm using a brand, but but my intention here is, is simple. A, a church that has different colors, different shapes, different bodies, different different uh, characteristics, right? I'm not looking for a church that is full of uh, clones uh, or everyone is equal, like same haircut, uh, same uh, colors. Yeah, like a mold. Dress. yes. I'm looking for a church that is diverse, that is uh, welcoming to all of those who want to adore and worship in the way we, we try to, and and all of those that are striving to 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 live up to the standards and and to to strive mm -hmm. to to honor their covenants, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you're not honoring your covenants, you're not welcome. And, and that's sometimes the impression we, we provide to others. Like if you're not up to what I am living, then you're not welcome, which is the total opposite of, of, of church teachings. I actually remember uh, one of the talks and I don't remember who, hmm. but I think the, 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 um, the 70 that is French and works at BYU and yes. he referenced one of the primary songs, right? Uh, that if you're different from me, I mean, you're welcome and, and I'm not making fun of you if you talk different than me and if you walk different than me. So that's the church I believe and that's the church I've been raised to, 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 to live right for. And even myself, yeah. I mean, I, I'm the, the most exotic guy in my ward, right? Most of the, <laughs> yeah, so most of the people there are white Americans that are like born yeah. and raised here. So obviously the invitation is that we're, I mean, all of us are welcome at church, no matter yeah. our circumstances. And, and again, it's something that we need to work on ourselves. Yeah, we're, so we're quite cognizant. Naturally. Quite cognizant. I'm glad that that it's being named and said as a as an ideal to reach and i think it's fully aligned with the concept of zion as i said a few minutes ago uh, i'm very cognizant as well that it's not a reality everywhere and in some places it's very far from and and that's because uh you know we have a lot to learn when you read in the book of mormon that alma went to preach to different cities he found saremla that got a big talk in alma 5 then you got gideon or gideon who was doing just gideon, fine yes. and got a nice talk and then in Ammonaiha, they tried to kill him, right? So there, there was a lot of variance, and it was the same church. And then King Noah, before that as well, they had the priesthood, but they were wicked, you know? So we need to become, in my opinion, 
more accepting of the fact that we are the research church of Jesus Christ and within it, there's a lot of variance and we have to be real about it. And, but it's good to hear from conference some of those principles. Now, the last thing I want to say about conference, can't believe we'll run 20 minutes about it, but yes, uh, I think to me it felt like there were some very key points in the narrative, some of which I really, really welcome, and others that I felt that were a little bit more challenging. Like in full, full transparency, it was uh, I, I've had to think a lot about some of the talks and the, the way that they were delivered. Um, and, and I know that that's that's true for many other members as well. Uh, so we're cognizant of that. Uh, we don't have time now to delve much on it, but I do have one question, Danny. Uh, okay, th there's a new catchphrase in the church. And that catchphrase is Thing Celestial <laughs> from President Nelson's <laughs> talk, which, by the way, uh, I, I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to give one. And we know that he uh, had an injury recently, so it was great to see him. Uh, he was physically able to, to be there and, and do it. Now, before saying anything on my, on my end about the phrase specifically, what, what are your thoughts? Do you have any anything to share? Yes, I mean, I, I was... I was playing around with my wife and telling her like, I don't know, kids had a mess at home and then I think <laughs> celestial. And then, <laughs> and then we had a very busy week this week and then, well, think celestial, right? I think it's, there is a, a very delicate balance, right? Between understanding this as a, as a personal motto and, and, and uh, treasuring it in your heart and then trying to live up with it and using it as a solution to all the complex and nuanced circumstances uh, of a of daily life, right? So what I consider is that uh, there are no simple solutions to complex endeavors, right? So that being said, I think it's not a good idea to think that the prophet invitation for all of us of thinking celestial Uh, will sort out our mo most complex challenges in our daily lives just by thinking celestial, right? So I sustain the prophet. I take things celestial in my heart and I'm going to try to live up to it, but I'm not going to use it, right? As a word, right? As an expression. A phrase. Because, yeah, yeah. As a phrase, because it's more in my perception, will be more damaging than uplifting, right? I mean, we're all trying and we're here for that sake. Like, I mean, I'm adoring and I'm living up to my covenants because I believe in that. I believe that if I if I work hard, if I trade my best, I could be with my family forever together, right? And that's my expectation, but that's personal, right? Yeah. And, and because of that, if I externalize it and say, hey, people, watch, I'm living up to uh, my covenants and, I, and I'm going to become uh, a god with my wife and my kids, right? It's not something that, that you, you say and show it to others. It's something that you keep in your heart and, and you try to work towards that goal. And there will be good days and bad days. And the same, in a way, I, I take it uh, as in the same level with things celestial. I'm mm. trying to think celestial. I'm trying to be, and I'm trying to act like Keep Jesus. Keep an eternal perspective in, in the end. Yes, the yes. Underlying principle. Yes. Uh, uh, as, or as I said, I'm trying to act like Jesus, but sometimes I can't, right? I mean, I try, <laughs> but I can't. I'm not physically capable of it, right? So, But that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that I'm not striving towards it. So yeah. that that's my take. I, I really What like the, the framing you gave to Well, I, I think 
I feel very much like you do. I hadn't thought of it in the, with that frame of reference, uh, so I don't have much more to add to it. But uh, I'll say one one thing. Uh, I've spoken with people that love the talk. They were like, this is really what I needed to hear. I needed an, uh, a reminder of the eternal perspective that I need to put on, on, on my life. And I can, and I do get behind that 100%. I, I think that that's a... Uh, the, that that is uh, an eternal good principle, right, and, and a good life skill as well. Uh, but at the same time, I have a personal. And this is mostly personal, not not really doctrinal or anything. I have kind of a, a personal aversion to catchphrases, and, and I feel <laughs> that gradually over the last few years, we've fallen into a culture of leading through catchphrases that I, it doesn't sit very well with me. I know that previously with President Monson, many people didn't really resonate with his way of of teaching just through anecdotes and personal stories and things like that. And others loved it, right? So that there's like a profit for each season and for different types of people. And but progressively so more than the, the message, I think that the the impact on on us as a as a collective uh community of faith, we, we take those phrases and weaponize them. And that's the risk risk that I see with with this phrase is that I see a very high potential to weaponize it, to suppress um, things that are really important and necessary. For example, uh, people that, apologies, <laughs> sorry, for example, people that are struggling with, with, um, with grief, right? And, you know, thinking celestial or having an eternal perspective, uh, of course it, it helps, but it's a, it's not mutually it's exclusive. So, away. Yeah, but, but there are some parts. And, and, but I believe that the use that it will be given by many, unfortunately, will be the healthy use of saying, don't worry, like how come you're not thinking celestial, right? And, and all of that. And I think we need to, to recognize that. And there's an article. This is the first article of news that we're quoting 25 minutes into this conversation. But I read a guest post that I think reflects a lot of how we feel about the talk. Uh in the Exponent 2 blog. Uh, the title is Some Unintended Ramifications of the Well-Intended Message to Think Celestial. So I'll I'll direct listeners to, to that um, article. I think uh, it touches on just one of the paragraphs uh, on the talk, and there are many that created a lot of conversation uh, on the talk. Uh, and I think it does a really good job of saying, look, the intended message is important and can coexist with the other elements that the message leaves out that can become really unhealthy and that we need to probably address. And one of the recommendations that the, the guest, uh, uh, the, the writer of this guest post in the, uh, that blog uh, says, it's a recommendation that I want to know what you think about it. Uh, the, the author says, uh, I believe that if general conference talks are reviewed, were reviewed and vetted by a panel of diverse experienced therapists based on a criteria of sound mental health principles, that this practice would yield so much good fruit. It would be well worth whatever investment, time, energy, money was required. It would save lives, the author argues. I mean it, they say. How many lives have been lost to suicide and influenced greatly by rhetoric in conference talks? Uh, talks have been studied that they then are studied in quorums and classes all year that unintentionally Fed cycles of shame, self-hatred, perfectionism, depression, hopelessness, and feelings of inadequacy, and uh, not to mention scrupulosity that so many members are afflicted with. And I'm going to leave it there. It's a longer paragraph. Now, 
it's uh, it's an interesting idea because we know that general conference talks, uh, with the exception of this uh, this uh, conference of President Baller's talk that was a testimony, basically, was unscripted. But talks are scripted and they are reviewed and reviewed, reviewed. You know, there's a correlation process that goes into it. And what the author is saying, might be worth having some mental health professionals doing some some sort of review and providing feedback to make them better. What what do you think of that? Do you think there's any merit on that? I mean, no one is trained. I, I don't think uh, the first presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, or even the seventies, are trained uh, in mental health. Right? I mean, we we believe in inspiration. We believe that uh, these callings are, are appointed by God. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're they're professional specialists in in yeah. those areas. And and in a world where 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 so much understanding and so much uh, special advice is needed, then I would welcome that. I mean, I was having a conversation, and this is probably off topic, but with my sister, and and we were talking about how living up to the expectation of of disciples of Jesus Christ was was challenging for her, like. It, it it felt like an extra burden, like something that that she couldn't live up with, right? And 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 again, I I understood it, right? For for after many years, right? After many years of not understanding her perspective, I understood, right? And she has the utmost respect and, and admiration about the church, but she's not active, and and yeah. probably because that um, that goal of becoming like Christ was too much. And because of mm-hmm. that, she thought, "Well, this is too heavy for me. It's, this is a, a too too heavy backpack for me. So I would rather stay out of it, right?" And, and and I don't want any member of the church feel like that. I mean, my take on this is like that's the perfect example. I'm not perfect, so what I'm trying to do is is little by little, right? Like step yeah. by step, I will try to, and that's my take. And I hope. All the ones that are trying to 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 strive to be better are taking that that take right. But for some people that are perfectionists by nature, yeah. that is the goal, and I have to reach that goal as soon as possible, right? For me, a very imperfect human being, I'm just taking that perfect example as as a beacon, right? As an yeah. as an opportunity to to walk towards that light, yeah. and it will take me forever, right? But not for all of us, uh, we get the same, uh, you know. Uh, perception about things, and then I I understand that, and 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 I think we should be more cognizant yeah. about it. No, that's great. My my last words on this, and maybe after that we can go to some articles of news. Would be that uh, we know that for many people, myself included, general conference was uh, a great experience. It was uh, it challenged us to to think, to ponder, to turn to God for inspiration. I know that for others it was also challenging, and I can think of. Uh, of many that, uh, that that I know for for whom this conference in particular would have resonated in 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 a in a more difficult way with them, and just want to say that uh, both reactions are are welcome. I think as long as uh, we turn to the real and final and ultimate source of comfort and truth, uh, I think we're good. So uh, great! We just wanted to I mean, give a chance to listeners to yes. to to see where we are uh, on that and and to recognize that all reactions to it, as long as they are in good faith, uh, I, I think they are they need to be known and, and heard. And I hope leaders are aware and cognizant of that as well. 
absolutely. We we invest ten hours two times a year for that, so it's yeah, not a, it's a minor, big, trivial thing, right? It's the big binge watch of of a faith community. All right, let, let's okay. go to some some news. What do we have? I mean, uh, well, I would like to. Can I say one yes. one more about yes. well, not conference but temple announcements? I guess we should. Uh, there were twenty temples announced. Long list. That's a lot. That, that is a lot. It comes with a lot. I think we we spoke about it in one of the first episodes that we have with Danny uh, uh, about the number of temples being announced and the anxiety that it drives me because I know those are expensive and the the operational cost of running them is a lot. But uh, there was a temple announced in Viña del Mar, Chile, which is the city I was born in. And <laughs> that was a it really special home moment. in all the possible levels, right? Yeah. Oh, for you, Danny. Yeah, I mean, my parents live in Villalemana, which is very close to Viña del Mar, um, and it's powerful. There are temple workers, actually, my parents, and, and um, I was thinking, I was talking to my wife about a temple will take around seven to eight years since it's announced to be uh, fully dedicated and, and mm -hmm. uh, ready to be operating, and I hope my parents are alive Yeah, I have, have a chance to thought. attend. <laughs> yeah, to have a chance. I mean, my parents are 73. So seven years, it's 80. You're getting to your 80s, probably. Yeah. So, so I hope because, I mean, it touches my heart because they, they, they've been um, temple workers. And then for yeah. them having a temple in their in their land, in their, in, in, where, where they usually operate, they usually live. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's just, it's showing the, the, the maturity and the growth of the church all over the world and, and, and how this will benefit their hearts and, and will, you know, yeah. benefit the, the way they adore. They, they wouldn't have to do this long commute of almost two hours. It will be like 30 minutes from home, 20 minutes from home. Yeah. So I'm just rooting to that, and I'm just expecting for them to have the opportunity to, to be there when it's dedicated. I mean, the, I, I remember that the Santiago Temple was dedicated when I was born. Oh, yeah. And I understand that. 83, right? Um, yes. They, they were there, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but they were there. So... I mean, it will be very powerful for them. So, I mean, yeah. I, I just love that and 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 the 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 feeling that gives me, like like. Yeah, for me, my thoughts went straight to my parents as well. They're also temple workers. They're also like seventy three to seventy four years old, and seventy five actually. My dad, and that that's the city where my grandma, who passed away this year, she. Um, She left her village with my mom as a single teenage mom, basically, to work there, to Viña del Mar. That's the city that she picked on the map, basically. And that's where my mom met the missionaries in 61, 62. She told me the other day they would show these film strips in the Quinta Rioja, which is this old building there in Viña. <laughs> she never really got the lessons, but years after that, she married this guy that had been baptized in the church. That was my dad. He had been baptized in Valparaíso, right next to Viña. You know, like all of my family history goes to that. It's like the epicenter of my family. Even though I left that city when I was seven, so I didn't really grow up there. But my thoughts were straight there, and what it means to them. I mean, they are from the generation, just like your parents, that they build their chapels by hand, right? That they gave their donations in form of hours and money, and so the church means not that it doesn't mean as much to us, but it means something even deeper and different to them. Yes. And, And I'm glad that they got to hear it, even, even if they don't get to see it materialize, which I hope they do. And it also made me feel a bit more humble about and, and kind of uh, 
turned me to repent a little bit because I've been maybe a bit cynical about the the volume of temples that are being announced and kind of like, do we need that many? Like, I don't think we need that many, but but then, then I thought but at of the same the, time. It makes all the possible sense that we have as many temples as possible, right? And then they are accessible. I mean, the closest temple for me is two hours. It's two hours. I have three kids, right? There's no annex where I can put the kids. So I haven't been, I haven't been to a temple. And and having a closer temple will allow us to go. I don't know in yeah. odd times, in in odd hours, to adore. Yeah. I mean, we need temples as close as possible, just because we need to to renew to remember right and to yeah. and to be part of it and and do we need many sure we need as many as as church buildings like yeah i think on that I, of, yes on that I, I do have some thoughts and i go back to kind of this operational costs but, but more from the <laughs> operational cost standpoint i'm thinking of the the labor intensity of it because having this footprint of temples that means that you need a big imprisoned temple workers as well. So um, there's an, an implicit strategy behind it <laughs> or an unintended one, I, I don't know, but we're going to need more temple workers. So the temples are going to become, um, we, we can't avoid them to, to become a much more central part of our worship, which comes with a lot of other considerations, right? Uh, are people going to go for it? You know, it's a, it's a, yes. it's a very but different but level we, of investment. With a, with an I wonder how that's going to evolve. Yes, with an aging population and with uh, better work circumstances, I think we will be able to yeah. to find a way. We'll yeah. be able to find a way to have more temple workers and to have more people participating and and, and helping around. Yeah. And, and also, it's, there's been a simplification of the ordinances to the point that not as many um, workers are needed. are needed now to run a session and things like that. But uh, a big... big um, Shout out to all of those that are in areas where temples were announced. Uh, we hope we are, you are as delighted as we are with the Viña del Mar Temple. We know two in Peru, a few, one in Mongolia, many in the in the Pacific Islands, and uh, a few in the U.S. and many in Africa as well. So, a big hello to the global church that is getting the blessings of temples in their land. Let's go to the hymn book, and yeah. this is something that is beautiful in its essence and i don't know if you're if you remember in chile we used to have a red hymn book then we had like a brown hymn book and the last hymn book we had was the green one yeah the current one the current one and and we used to laugh about some of the translations there we had in some of the songs and and lots of things about it and and this this cultural thing about you know learning the hymns and 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 learning the words and 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 the phrases and finding out when I serve the mission that uh, the the English version has four hundred three hundred uh, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong three hundred forty one three forty one. 341 and the Spanish hymn book has 209. 209. So so we have Well actually Danny has 210. Because 210 is buscad con fe which in Spanish means search with faith. <laughs> with faith. Yes. Which that was, was a running soul. joke with missionaries and with members like you were teasing people to look for the hymn that doesn't exist. So keep searching with faith. Not really fun funny when you say that way, but 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 it is what it is. It is one of the most established <laughs> church jokes in the Spanish-speaking world, just so you know. But maybe for, for some context to listeners, uh, we're talking about the announcement just last week, I believe, was it? That yes. finally we're going to get a new updated hymn book 
Uh, this was announced in 2018, I think, that they were going to start preparing for one. But now we have dates. The first uh, few hundred are going to come out in next year, I think, 2024. Yes. With the full version, fully releasing all the languages uh, in 2026, so three years from now. Uh, and it's going to be fully harmonized. So this whole variance between Spanish and English and other languages and which teams are here and not there, that's going to be a thing of the past. They're taking the time to have a unified hymnal for children as well and adults. So kind of like the come follow me of music. What do you think, Danny? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I love the fact that we're going to have also the, the children's hymn book integrated because it's also a matter of, I don't know, practicality. You know, you're not bringing both both books in in your in your purse or in your backpack, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have them here, but still, you need to up you need to open two different tabs to 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 check yeah, them, right? And and it's not like that intuitive or that easy to access, right? So I think that that's one significant contribution. The other significant contribution is that uh, we all benefit from this unified. It's like I don't know reading the scriptures, right? You need a unified system of reading the scriptures so everyone will access the same number or the same you know reference. So uh, it's something that I think is is another step towards uh, a global church, and and I think I welcome that. I, I love that. And I, I was thinking about a couple of hymns that are in Spanish that are not in English, plenty of English hymns that are not in Spanish. And it it nourishes my heart because I'm a very, I believe myself a very musical person. And I always uh, was, I, I was always excited about listening the Mormon Tabernacle Choir or the Tabernacle Choir now uh, singing hymns Square, that I didn't. Yeah a temple square that I didn't know, right? Or they were unfamiliar to me because they were not part of the hymn book yeah. I had, right? And it was uh, a very powerful experience in itself. Yeah. And and for me, it's been very transformative. Actually, I would say that part of my testimony of the church also deals with, with the doctrine and the principles I've learned through the hymns yeah. and, and, and and how I, I get this... Uh, personal experience revelation and 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 spiritual experiences in church meetings when i hear certain hymns or when i need certain hymns to be sang yeah. and, and hear them is very powerful to me yeah i'm gonna say two things that i actually have many things to say about it like for, for background for those that are not uh that are listening and not watching it on youtube or on video form uh, I'm a musician. The guitars on the background here give it away for those on video. <laughs> uh, and Danny, I don't think we've ever talked about our musical relationship either. So uh, yeah. Danny Ferreira, you know, uh, my sidekick in this call, uh, he's the bass guitar player in the band that both of us have with my brother in Chile. Uh, he's the lead singer and guitarist. I'm the what? What am I? Uh, I was a drummer, composer, instrumentalist. You're the multi instrumentalist. Yeah. Yes, so and, I and make composer. the songs. Yeah, make the songs. Not all of them. There are a few from my brother, but uh, yeah, we've been making music with Danny for over a decade now. We have a band called Gran Capitals. That maybe we can put the link in the show notes. Sorry for the self-referential uh, nature of this comment, but <laughs> yeah, and we make alternative rock music, and but. That uh, I'm saying that because music is pivotal in kind of my my humanity. Like for me, music is like 
if I would have had the guts to <laughs> the bravery to do it, I would have gone full on being a musician. I was a bit more pragmatic, so I chose a business career instead to then pay for the <laughs> guitars and things. But uh, music, I, I think in musical terms, I'm making songs all day long, jotting down notes and, and things like that. And that goes back to my church experience. Like my introduction to music was through my family and through singing hymns. You know, when I was 10, 11, I was already kind of doing barbershop uh, quartets with my three older brothers, right? And I hadn't changed my voice yet. So I was singing the alto, right? <laughs> I still had like <laughs> this kid's voice. And and that introduced me to choirs, to church, state choirs, things like that, and ended up in uh, doing that. I ended up missing a full Meeting week. Meeting your wife. You uh, met your yeah, wife through a choir. I ended choir. up meeting my wife in a church choir for for a, an event in the Chile Temple Square, right? And so did my brother Roberto, which, long story short, that leads to you meeting your wife. And, you know, so the experience of music in the church has been ingrained. Oh, I was going to say, on my senior year of high school, on my first semester, one week, I just didn't go to school for a week and a half. Why? Because I stayed home making arrangements for state conference. I was like, mom, I need to stay because this state conference is really important. Elder Holland was going. It was when Elder Holland lived there. And I don't know what, what my parents were thinking. They were like, yeah, sure, stay home. <laughs> and I stayed home and I wrote this uh, arrangement for um, Abide With Me that I still have around oh. somewhere. And with, with some kind of uh, modulations and changes. And you know, so, so my musicianship comes from my church experience. And it, some of the most spiritual experiences I've had that still ground me and are like an anchor to to, to my, my my belonging in church deal with music. So I'm really, really looking forward to what this will do to us as a community. And having said that, and despite my very positive experiences with music at church, I still think we do really poorly in a way from a worship standpoint. For example, in, in our ward here in, in the UK, we have a very heterogeneous group, demographically speaking. We have some uh, families that uh, have been not, not vocal with everybody, but at least they, they've, they've brought it up to me that they wish that based on their cultural backgrounds, you know, I think that's where they're coming from, that that our church musical experience were a bit more worshipy, a little bit more lively, right? Because sometimes our hymns, and, and also there's variance depending on who you have that can play or can sing, you know, there are some words that do really great. But still, it, it is a very devotional and kind of quiet Kind of uh, type yeah, of because, singing because, and worship. And, I, and I so, get it because our structure is like that. I mean, we welcomed, besides piano, other instruments very recently. Yeah, In yeah. In the past, yeah. it was just piano. It, like, it was hard coded, but only it. piano and yes. string instruments, I believe. And, you know, we kind of hard coded a lot of these traditions that. I don't know where it comes from. I'm not a historian, but I think that the fact that the church was restored in the U.S. and the U.S. came from this Protestant background, I think a lot of those practices, we kind of inherited them from main, mainline denominations, right? Methodism yes. and Lutheranism and things like that, that again, I'm not super familiar with, but it's it seems to me that the, our musical tradition is closely related to that. And absent of this charisma that, that other de denominations have. That when you actually go to the, to the to the scriptures, there's good doctrinal foundation for that type of worship, right? There's nothing against it, like uh, Psalm 150, right? Uh, and others that <laughs> yeah. endorse the use of 
a wide array of instruments, you know, and, and some of our evangelical and other other uh, Christian brothers and sisters, they do quite well with that. One of the best shows I've ever been, live shows, was the, I can't remember the name of this Christian worship, but um, it was in the U.S. last year. I think I mentioned it in one episode before, and they were just incredible. It's like, wow, this is very different from the way I worship through music. This is great as well. So I wonder if this new hymn book and this kind of update to, to church music will lead in, in any new direction. We shall see. Are there any hymns that you want to stay, that you want to be, that they get added or that they get kind of crossed language? Uh, any favorites, Danny? Uh, well, my favorite is If You Could Hide to Call of. Uh, oh, is in it? Spanish, yeah. Uh, in Spanish, it was Situa uh, Latrocidio, which is the worst <laughs> translation ever. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. It, but. It's not even the same star, like Sirius. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, it's talking yeah, about. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, the first time I heard it, like, it it moved me completely because it yeah. was it has a different modulation. It's it's actually kind of different from the regular pattern of other hymns. Yeah, and 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 I loved how how it dealt with some doctrinal foundations we've got that are totally different from the rest of yeah. other Christian denominations. So it was yeah, very it moving go, for me. And, it goes and, hard and, and doctrinally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that that's one of my favorites. So I, I would rather. Yeah have it in in all the possible languages right um i have forgotten about it you know why because it used to be one of my favorites until it just got overused and overused and overused. yes with I actually, many things in life one of the arrangements that i that i made during my high school years that i didn't skip school for this one but it, one arrangement <laughs> was if you could hide to call it with a spanish translation that it was not the, the one you you mentioned i think we, we came up <laughs> okay. with one that you worked did, a bit you, better. Did, you did a better job there yes yeah but yeah, that, that's a good one for me. I know that a favorite in the English language as well is uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing that has gotten okay. a lot of extra momentum in the last couple of decades with Mac Wilbur's arrangement that we just heard in this last conference, I think in, yes. in Sunday morning session, it closed there with that arrangement that for 90s. me... Yeah, there yeah, were many of, 90s arrangements this general conference and yeah. it was lovely. Well, yeah. it, it actually poses a question uh, Mark Wilber, the choir director who replaced Craig Jessop in 2008, I believe, but he was the assistant director with Craig Jessop so since 2000. So he's been there for 23 years. And I credit him for the flavor and style dire direction of all church music, at least at that devotional space, because his arrangements are the arrangements of the church now. You know, kind of found yes. every blessing, Redeemer of Israel, uh, uh, I believe in Christ. All of these classics that came out in the late '90s, early 2000s, that are the soundtrack of many missions, right? Yes. Uh, but but they are of a very peculiar style that brought a more cinematic kind of vibe to to what John the Williams church used to do before, vibe, right? It, yeah, yes. exactly. Now. He has a, a bit of a playbook. Like I know when he's going to modulate to a different tone, kind of by. But still, because, I mean, yeah. th there's still yes. What I want to say is that he's probably due to retire soon, right? He's probably in his seventies already. Uh, fact check me on that. But and I wonder what's going to succeed that because he's left a super, super, super high bar <laughs> in my personal musical opinion. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think we're approaching a time of big changes on, on church music. But uh, yeah, I, I know that this hymn, I Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, has been one that was removed from the English hymn book on the last iteration in 1985, I believe. 
maybe on an earlier iteration, not sure. But because of this arrangement, he has gotten so much more exposure and momentum that I would argue is the top one or amongst the top hymns that top people 10, want yes. back, right? And to yes. pay whatever, whatever copyright rights and things like that to, to get it back on, <laughs> on the hymn book. But, but yeah, we'll see how this develops. I'm excited. Happy to move on to the next one. Yes. At Silicon Slope Summit, Elder David A. Bednar tells jazz owner Ryan Smith how a global church works. So yeah. that's a very interesting one. I, I saw this was uh, right before I'm, conference, I believe, right? So last last week. Y- yeah. yeah the, 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 uh, it, I think it, it was the previous week, actually. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. it's September twenty eighth. So I, I saw on Instagram Elder Bednar mentioning he's going to participate in the summit, and I was excited because it's a different context. Uh, and I think uh, apostles uh, should yeah. reach a wider a wider audience, and because they're apostles for the world, they're not apostles yeah. for church members, right? So, uh, having said that, I I welcome them as apostles to to have this tribune and this opportunity to to share some insights and and to share ideas with with a wider spectrum of people yeah. that that might be i don't know away from from hearing them on general conference or 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 whichever opportunity they have to talk about uh gospel principles and it's also an opportunity to to be more vocal about what we are as a church, right? What 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 do we do as a church, and and how this provides us with a, a a whole array of opportunities to to help others, to serve others, and to to extend the hands of of help around the world. And I understand that one of the things he mentioned was uh, about uh, church operations and how the church has decided to to use uh, the money that has been contributed by millions of members of the church worldwide to to extend uh, the work of salvation around the globe. And I think that's good. That's that's relevant. That's needed. I think we've discussed this before about yeah. uh, how church uses the resources and the funds to to extend, you know, the work of salvation. Yeah. In a, way, it, in a way, it's a developing topic. I think it's not the, the first and definitely not the last we're going to hear about it um and it's interesting that it's in a forum that is secular right that it's a uh, business oriented and and i guess it begs the question of whether the the the, the message that, that's being shared is you know uh, satisfactory to some or it, it's it's or, or the, the optics as well of being on that forum is what what one would expect of a church leader and on that i'm neutral I've, I've heard and read people that have been very against it I'm saying, what is an apostle doing on a business forum, kind of in, in a world where, where we're trying to <laughs> to look after through religion is to care for the poor and needy, right? And rather, instead, we're kind of dealing with billionaires like Ryan Smith, which, by the way, used to be my skip manager when I worked uh, years ago in his startup. I was employee number 126 or something like that uh, when, when Qualtrics was like 80 employees in 2010. I didn't last very long, though. I sold the first licenses for them for Europe back then. And uh, long story short, I didn't stay with them. Maybe if I would have stayed, I would have a bigger stake on that business. Uh, but yeah, Ryan's a great guy, by the way. Great time with him. I was there for about half a year. But anyway, he was the he was hosting this this session with Elder Bednar. He talked about church finances, 
I talked about the, the, the big operational expenses. We touched on that when we mentioned temples a few minutes ago. He talked about also about the global church. And um, it's an interesting quote here when he says, um, uh, I'm quoting Elder, Elder Bednar here. He said, in my particular responsibility, we're always thinking 20, 30, 50 years down the road. Um, and then uh, it says, from that perspective, he noted that a possible change uh, maybe because of the significant growth and future in, in Africa. Uh, again, quoting, uh, saying, today the dominant language in the church is Spanish. I didn't know that. That's news to me. I mean, from what perspective, I think it's still a majority of members speak English. But anyway, he said Spanish. Uh, then he says, I think in the future it might be French because of the growing number of members in African countries that are former French-speaking colonies. So, and then he, he keep, keeps elaborating on church finances and, and the use of AI and political polarization. So he, he covered everything. Um, and I think that regardless of what we might think of the forum that was chosen to do this, I think there's value on hearing our leaders speaking about wider topics. Uh, I, I think we expect general conference sometimes to be the only avenue and many people expect our leaders to speak about some of those more current event type topics in general conference which could happen i would also welcome that but uh, that's also a more devotional setting and the fact that we're finding other channels through which have our leaders speak on real time about these things as well a, a little less scripted more more unscripted i think there's a lot of value on it so really happy with that we have very limited time, and we've got a couple of more. Uh, we can do a bit of a shotgun approach with the with the so, next one. So yeah, we've got three visitors from di three, di three different countries visiting church headquarters. We've got uh, a cardinal, a Catholic cardinal from Rwanda. We've got a member. Uh, oh, so Prime Minister of Samoa visiting ch church yes. headquarters. Samoa, and, we've got a temple now. And we've got the Hungarian president visiting church headquarters as well. So we've got three different dignitaries, right? Or, or yeah. people that represent very specific countries visiting church headquarters. And I don't know. What do you think about it? What do you I think, think about it? I, I think it's it's positive. It's good. I, I've seen the good of this type of diplomatic engagements that the church has, has led the way on. Uh, going back to the 2000s in Chile, uh, the church was instrumental in working with the Chilean government at that time with Ricardo Lagos was the president. He was a center-left uh, leaning president. Elder Holland was the, the, the area president at the time. And they were towards passing a divorce law. Chile for many years didn't have a way, like divorce was illegal for any reason. It was one of the last countries in the world that had such a strict law against divorce. And this was 2002, 2003, four. I think the law passed in 2004 or five when I started my mission. So it's quite recent. And you might, might think, why would the church be lobbying and kind of working with governments to, to, to work on legislation for, for divorce? It seems counterintuitive. Um, but, but yeah, there was a need for it because many members that wanted to be baptized couldn't because they were locked to marriages or what that or, they couldn't get divorced to be from. sealed or wanted to and, be yeah. sealed with their spouses their current spouses yes yeah they were cohabitating uh, now in a newly formed family but they had no legal legal way to officialize that family uh, so you know that ended up at, at being a big needle mover for missionary work and for and just for families in general right the church of course had an interest on it but um i, I 
I don't it, think it benefited a wider population. Yes, yeah, yes exactly. Absolutely. So that, that was great, and, and in that sense, it's, it's good to see that the church maintains these relationships and and is open to those. I think there is an element of uh, an open question we don't have time to answer, which is in the case, for example, of Hungary. We know that that's a highly controversial Dream. regime at the moment with uh, pretty much okay. an autocracy. Um, in the fascism spectrum almost, <laughs> uh, at least so uh, allegedly, <laughs> right? And uh, is there a line that we might draw as to whom we'll meet with, who will not meet with? Uh, I think it begs the question, and I, I don't think we can answer that. Uh, and I think the church takes their political neutrality quite quite seriously. And as a result, they raise again, questions like this sometimes when they decide to meet with this or, or this uh, dignitary. And at this point, I think... If we believe in this political neutrality, then the church has a responsibility to meet with all dignitaries from all countries okay. because it's a worldwide, it's a global church. So all dignitaries need to know what are our uh, goals as a church and, and what do we preach and, and what do we expect from our members and and what do we do to help others, right? And, yeah. and that means that all countries need to have an opportunity to visit church headquarters to get to understand firsthand, right? And 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 avoid this uh, myth uh, ideas or this uh, word of mouth ideas about what church members believe or do or, or, or whatnot. So I think it's it's a good opportunity for the church to to again uh, have these people visiting and, and understanding more of, of what we do. And yep. and I welcome that. Yeah, that, that is good indeed. Well, I just want to mention a couple more that we won't get the time to elaborate. You can f uh, go to the Patreon segment where we're likely to jump into some of these stories. One is the church helping uh, open a new health clinic in Ukraine, uh, which is done through uh, a project called Project Hope uh, with funding and support from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I think it's great to see that there's tangible on-the-ground support being provided in this war-torn zone uh, here in the UK. Uh, we're seeing this very firsthand, actually, um, just this week. We got asked to support with with uh, some specific events and activities to support asylum seekers uh, that uh, here in, in this area, there, there's a lot of work being done on that from both the Middle East uh, and also now increasingly so from, from Ukraine and other areas. And I found that great. I think those are the things that we need to be doing more and more of. More often, yes. Yeah. And likewise, uh, in September, all four women church general officers and leaders, Religious Society and Women and Primary Minister ac across the world, there's a nice talk about it. And I also welcome and, and value that we're getting uh, more visibility as to what ministry they are providing and the, 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 the voice and the unique perspective that our, that our sister leaders are bringing. So, oh, we have some visitors before we wrap up. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's my little daughter that just came from, from, Hello. from school. So. The latest addition to but, TWIM. Yes. <laughs> well, great. I think we're going to now uh, wrap up to move to the patron segment, but we invite you to join, everybody. Uh, any parting words, Danny, that you want to say before we close? Uh... I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you you get the chance to to go through the news we covered, and always happy to be yeah. uh, participating 
and hope to see you soon and hope to hear you soon. So we ha I have background music. <laughs> my, my daughter is here, so I think there's nothing else I can add to this. I love it. Today. Well, that music. Thank you, this thank you for, bearing, uh, for bearing with, with us today. No, we really enjoyed this episode. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm loving the music as well. I think it's great for the outro. It was a very musical episode as well. So thanks everybody for joining in. Follow us on social media. Send us any emails with any questions, feedback, and comments. We will welcome those. And for those that are Patreon subscribers, see you there. And for those that are, are not, you're invited to subscribe. It's great. See you all there. Great to see you, Danny, as well. Take care. See you. Bye-bye.